episode 16. This is Gaming and BS. Here, can you hear now? I don't think anybody liked what you're doing there. What we're about to tell you, God damn it, we're right. Heavy on the BS. Heavy on the BS. You totally wrecked our legal fund, dude. We are out. You know, if we, anything comes up next year, we get sued again. It's just we don't have it. We're going to have to dig deep. Alright, welcome to Gaming and BS episode 16. I am one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I am Brett. Welcome back, folks. This is a podcast, if you haven't tuned in before, where we talk about tabletop gaming and primarily role-playing games. Yes, sir. So, announcements. Um, Brett, you put something down for announcements. I did, I did. I just want to do the... Uh... Not obligatory. I mean, this is honest, right? We uh, hope those of you out there who celebrated Christmas, I saw some awesome posts on Google Plus of a number of different gamers got some awesome boxes and great, great swag. My buddy Lenny got uh, um, some really cool looking stuff. I just I see pictures of the kids and their like their Star Wars pajamas <laughs> and everything. It's just it's really cool to see um, how, uh, we out here in the nerdosphere of gamers and enjoy the holidays. So it's, it's always cool to see the new stuff everybody got. So hope everyone had a good time and we've got new year's coming. So hopefully folks get a chance to maybe do some impromptu gaming or something pretty laid back, a little beer and pretzel type action for new year's. That's always fun. Indeed. Lots of gifts given and unwrapped and showcased off on the social media. Oh, we also, we also definitely have to make sure that we um, that we say hi Wayne hi Wayne Humphrey how you doing man yeah so Wayne good to hear from you again oh, Wayne God <laughs> there there jeez we we love you Wayne it's still good speak for yourself Brett <laughs> oh I like Wayne He's, even even I, though even uh, though his Lions lost today and it's really sad for him you know having to back a losing team like the Lions I just I, I feel bad for him but anyway I try to convince myself. <laughs> Wayne's a nice guy. Wayne's a nice guy. Wayne's a nice guy. Wayne's an awesome guy. He just happens to like a really bad football team. He just it's it's that's okay. I mean, everyone's entitled to have one wrong thing. I suppose. I'm trying to make sure my levels here are fine. And so I'm dicking with around dicking around with the volume and I think I'm fine, but then I'll record and I'll be too low and I'll be really mad. Oh, that's okay. All you right. can just blame it on you can blame it on me because oh, I'm no. up in uh Upper Peninsula, Michigan right now, actually. I took an impromptu bow hunting trip, so I am now in the just about middle of nowhere. Just to, I think probably on the very edge of where they have the interwebs, which is why I'm able to actually record from where I am. So it's all good. I think besides Alaska and Siberia, the UP is designated as next to nowhere. I think it is. You are correct. Awesome. Um. Yeah. Great. That's I think all we have for announcements. I think so. Nothing else. Nothing else new. We're good. All right. Let's go into Random Encounter. This is where we talk about any email that's been sent to us, anything on G Pluses, the Twitter, or voicemail. And the only thing that we got, not, I shouldn't say only because it's very nice that Scott has written in. Um, and it's regarding episode 15, which we did on science fiction role playing games. Um, that was the last episode before this one. If you uh, haven't looked at or listened to that, by all means, go and check it out. But his he says, the best question you can ask your group of players for this um, regarding sci-fi. So I think his question is in relationship to reality of the science fiction role-playing game that you want to play. He says, the best question you can ask your group of players for this is how does sound work in space, Star Wars or Firefly? That'll help. Uh, all of the rest of the decisions. It's a good ground. It's a good basis, right? I mean, I remember the one Firefly episode where uh, Jane was going to shoot 
he had a uh, basically a slug thrower an M16 style you know assault rifle type of thing an old school um, firearm and in order to make it work they had to wrap the gun in an oxygen suit basically to provide it the O2 that it needed in order to ignite and so forth and they were I believe the way they handled sound and space and so forth was as real as you can get, at least to, to my limited knowledge of how that works. And Star Wars, of course, is pew, pew, you know, in space and things exploding in space that you can hear and so on. So I think that actually is a – that's a good question. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but I think that does set a very basic ground rule to help you, uh, to help you take it from there. That – that will certainly put things in perspective. There's no question about that, um, which is good. Good tip. Good advice. Thanks, Scott, for writing and appreciate it. Definitely. All right. So moving on, let's go into uh, a shout-out to or one of our awesome sponsors. Tired of reaching into a dirty sack to get your dice? Do you have to dump all of your dice on the table just to find the exact one you need? Have a dice bag that is drab, boring, and just plain bleh? Well, get yourself a dice bag from Great Out Productions. Michael Althauser, not only the owner, but a gamer, makes quality handmade dice bags that can be printed with a custom logo, or you can choose from ones in his gallery. Great Out Productions, maker of fine dice bags. Use the promo code GAMINGNVS to receive 10% off his website, greatout.etsy.com. Follow the link in our show notes. All right, so we're back, and... I didn't mention the topic of discussion, but Brett and I had mentioned this um, some time ago and uh, thought it would be cool. Well, one of the pieces that, yeah, it's, it, we're talking about props and kind of the production values, if you will, that you either as a player or as a game master bring to the gaming table. One of the things that kind of brought this to my attention, and I hinted at it a little bit ago, my buddy Lenny got um, Horror on the Orient Express, the incredibly kick-ass um, special edition that Chaosium put out. And I think he just posted, it has like 190 plus, 190 plus different handouts for the keeper to give out to the players. I mean, every time you, you give a telegram copy or a clue or, you know, or a, a photo or anything like that, it's just those physical bits that you as the game master hand out or that you as a player use to help represent your characters and stuff. And I thought, you know what? Sean and I have kind of talked around that a little bit, hinted at it with other people like uh, Michael from Dead uh, Dead Gamer Society. He mentioned uh, he'll do the whole, um, you know, when he does Kissastrophe, he dresses up as Gene Simmons or when he d- he dressed up as, you know, I think Mr. Hooper at the last time he did uh, the um, uh, the Sesame Street Mr. Mr. thing. Mr. Cooper, I believe, is <laughs> Mr. the Cooper? Sesame okay. Street personality. Yeah. It was Cooper. But anyway, it was just really cool. And we've touched on it, I thought, you know what? It's one of those pieces that I always I love to hear the stories about it and when my buddy Lenny does props and games and other people do it, I'm like, oh, that's so cool, man, I wish I could do that. And it kind of ties into the whole technology and um, a question that one of our other listeners and a friend of ours, uh, Austin, had asked about when it comes to technology is music. And I always kind of rank music more as a prop maybe than technology at the table, which is probably why it didn't come to my head when we were talking about technology at the table when we had Chad as our guest. So anyway, that's what I wanted to talk about today. We talk about the props and kind of do they make sense? Do you do you use them, Sean? Does Brett use them? And when we have seen them, what you know, what do they do well? What don't they do well? And and so forth. So anyway, Sean, do you use props ever? Do you make them? Hand them out to your players. How do you do with? How do you deal with this? No. No. <laughs> And it, I hear some sound. My wife's chopping vegetables upstairs, and I can hear it come through the mic. So I'm gonna hopefully that doesn't become too big of an issue. But um, I do not use props. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever used them. Handouts. Have you ever used a, even a handout like in a pre-generated uh, adventure? Said, hey, here's the thing. And I guess maybe maybe let's define props, perhaps, because if you if you think. Some people could say, well, props are minis. Props are yeah. maps. I yeah. would like to take that and not include that in this discussion. I'm talking about non-tactical pieces, not the square grid with really cool um, landscape, Warhammer type thing. I, I throw that out completely. I'm talking about the handouts you give them as in-game clues and that type of thing. That's that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, the, and some, some people refer to this as um, tactile gaming. 
Um, so I don't. And the big reason is time. So if you're the creative type and you want to invest the time to do, to do this type of work, man, good on you. And I've had some, um, friends of mine that have, have done it and done it really well. Um, and I'll give them shouts out, um, shout outs, shouts out. I will mention their name. Um, an example. So I don't know if we want to get to that point, but I don't, I don't use them personally just because, um, I'm creatively inhibited at times. I mean, I, I sometimes fall short on just trying to get an adventure in my brain, much less think of something tactical, tactile. I have done, this doesn't really count. I have done like cards, like put a card and put an item on the card and give them the card so that they can use it as like in game who has the item. And okay. so if they're in the game and they have, you know, Oh, who has the item? Well, I thought I gave it to you or I gave it to them. Well, I don't know, pull it out of your pocket, who has it in front of them. And then that kind of determines that. So that alleviates the, we're just going to put it in this bag of holding and keep it there for two sessions. And then we'll just, whenever somebody needs it, they just say they have it, which is kind of bunk. I think what you, what you touched on there is, is cool because it's, there's different levels of property <laughs> or tactile gaming, right? When I, when I mentioned a horror on the org and express and my buddy Lenny says 190 plus handouts and Lenny's an awesome prop maker. Anyway, he's got a great theater background and, um, theater. he, he made a, uh, a Shoggoth arm, like this weird piece of wood that was like, he painted this icky, horrible green, had like suction cup markers on it. He's done some incredible handout, just clues and other things for us to use when we've gamed with him. But something is, a lot of times when I think props, I compare what I want to do with that type of thing or something like a, um, a full costume or just almost too far. But what you just said, I think is actually, <clears throat> it's a small thing that doesn't, detract from the game but helps to influence and expand the way you play by having a physical thing right it's not like a physical sword that you hand from person to person or an actual goblet or maybe you could use something as like a real cup or something if that was the case when you're running an adventure and um, they have to get x item from point a to point b and it gets passed around through the group and they have to hand the amulet across to whomever's using it at that time it becomes a, an actual thing right. that they can use it just helps them it's fun. It, it you know it's it's a cool it's a cool way to stay immersed in the game. Yeah, there was a podcast I think I was listening to years ago, and I can't remember who it was. And they really got into the um, the tactile piece of role playing games. Now, some people would argue that um, doing that almost is like LARP, which isn't really necessarily the case because I think it's just a different style of play. But um, this individual went to went as far as pouring liquids in little vials, like maybe test tubes. And then added water coloring. But what they did in addition to that is they the liquid was something, you know, maybe maybe whiskey, and and then another one would be like salt water, and another thing might be. I mean, it's all drinkable. Might one might have cayenne pepper in it or something. All of it drinkable, and nothing's going to kill a player. And then they'd color it. And then, you know, if they wanted to drink the magic potion. They here you go, and then they would have to down it. And they go, oh, that one tastes like cayenne pepper. Son of a bitch, that potion of flying. I didn't want a potion of flying. All or just it just tastes, tastes like, like yeah, or it just tastes like okay. crap, which gives an element of you know not all potions or everything you drink in fantasy world necessarily needs to taste good. It, you know, you choke down the potion of whatever. So nobody tell you know you don't take into consideration when you're going to drink something you don't know what it is that it could actually taste like crap, right? We just taste it. Everything that we drink in a role-playing game is like water or beer. Yeah. yeah. Right? Water or beer. I'm either getting drunk or I'm quenching my thirst or I'm drinking a potion that gives me something special. So now I, one of the reasons, the second reason I don't do them a lot myself is also from, as you said, from a time perspective, unless it's a ready-made, easy-to-do thing, like a card I'd hand out to somebody or I've used um Big skeleton keys, when those were important, I gave each player a skeleton key, and that had some impact on the game itself. Oh, that would be cool, them. yeah. They had they had to have it with them because it allowed them to open doors and, and do different things with portals and such. But, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's not easy, though, I have a hard time doing it just from the time element. Now, that said, though, when I'm the recipient 
And as I've said many times here, I, I don't get to play that often. When I do get to play and somebody has taken the time to do it, it I find that it does one or two things. It either makes the game really cool and this incredibly memorable thing. It's a lot of fun. Or it is a huge freaking distraction. And then everybody's focused on that thing and they don't care about the story, right? Or they don't care about the game itself. It sometimes seems to be where people get hooked up on, well, okay, I have this clue in my hands. I, Brett, and Sean were reading this thing together, and Sean's wizard has a 20 intelligence, and Brett's half-work has a 5 intelligence, but Brett knows this riddle and therefore answers, you know, it, the conflict between player, what player knows versus what character knows comes in a, comes into effect there. And then I, I've been at games when that then becomes a brawl, you know, where people are arguing back and forth and, well, you, you know that. Yeah, Sean, but you know, there's no way Brett would know that. And <clears throat> whatever the case is. So, so it kind of distracts or, or takes people out of the game. And if it doesn't keep you in the game and keep you thinking about it and really help to be that tactile piece that that other that other component of it then it's just it's not so fun so it's gotta you can't do it just for the sake of doing it you also have to be willing to say you know i made 10 props for this game and uh i didn't use eight of them because it wasn't appropriate i was not gonna just throw it out there just to do it because no one found it it really didn't fit or whatever the case is yeah that's yeah that would really suck like you spend a ton of time on something and the players don't appreciate it i would that would just oh my god i think that would really set me off and and the thing is is i wouldn't necessarily i couldn't necessarily blame them i mean so to speak if i just took it upon myself to you know do that my to do it and then you know they didn't know and all of a sudden i spring it on them and i think there would be but i also know my players and they would say oh that's pretty cool but I mean, if it's not and it doesn't contribute, or maybe you don't even use them because it doesn't come into play during the session or what have you, that would totally blow. And I've seen some guys. I'm going to talk about Mark in a second, but I've seen him do some hellacious work. And if somebody didn't, if we didn't use it, or if there wasn't a group, a player in the group that was appreciative of the handiwork that he did, I mean, I would. I, as a player, would have said, hey, look, dude, you got to give this, you know, look at this thing. Don't you have any appreciation for it? And if they didn't, I'd probably want to kick them out of the group. I don't know. <laughs> the goofy thing to me is you almost, and this is because I don't put the work into it, and those out there who do can correct me if I'm way off base, but it, it's kind of like the person who does all the prop work in any of the, the the movies you see, the great fantasy movies. You know, you see Lord of the Rings stuff, and just the intricacies of the, <clears throat> of the props and all this different stuff, and and there's a certain point where there's that one prop that is the ring, right? This, you know, the, the one ring. You're supposed to see that. It's supposed to have a certain look and feel, and that gets looked at and everybody cares about. And if you focus on making props for everything, <clears throat> one, I think you're potentially wasting your time, and then your player's going to get distracted and wor- worry about things that perhaps don't need to be worried about. But two, then you feel like you have to thrust the stuff out there because you've spent you know, 30 hours making all these different components. And again, maybe if, if you've got a ream of them, you know, if you've got 190 plus handouts in an adventure and, you know, people end up with 15, 20 of them and some of them are red herrings or some are not. And that's part of the adventure and, and whatnot. I, I guess that's fine. But I always get more worried about, how do I say this? <clears throat> kind of foisting props on the party that they don't care about, not just because they don't appreciate the handiwork, but it doesn't fit the story. Or they're like, yeah, okay, um, need to have another thing that says scroll of fireball. It, it's really handy, but you could have just told me I had a fireball spell, dude. You yeah. don't have to make scrolls for everything. And then, you know, now they say it, you know, the, the flip side is if the only time you give them a prop is when it is a key critical component, then the game sometimes grinds to the halt where they pour over every component, looking for every misspelling, checking to see if it's folded in a certain way is the, you know, blah, 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 because they know that that only shows up when it's a huge freaking deal. So there's that possible uh, hurdle as well to overcome. Yeah, I would see um, something you touched on it tweaked my my brain was the, um, I think if you bring out a prop and it's really cool, 
and you heighten the game, you heighten the game using that prop, then you almost set an expectation as well, which could could backfire on you. For example, you make this really cool, intricate. Um, I don't know. Maybe you you the key, the skeleton key. You, you actually made the skeleton key for some reason. Maybe you took up blacksmithing, and that was the first thing you thought you'd make. And you do that, and then it's then it becomes, oh, or you start another session, or when are they going to get the next cool thing? Or you start, you know, that was that campaign. You're going to start up another one. Gee, I wonder what the next cool thing Brett does, and if he doesn't, is everybody going to have this like, oh, we, we didn't do anything special for this? <laughs> or or you get a new guy, or you get the yeah, new guy who's never – hears all about it. The new guy hears all about the, the cool thing that Brett did, and then you don't do it, and then the new guy's like, oh, I did this really cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just well, some- Honestly, I think some of the most people I know, I shouldn't say some of the most people I know that I've talked to, apart from like a certain game master in the group, like Lenny when he runs for us, or I've known other people that do it over the years, will come up with certain props. But I see a lot of folks talking, when they talk about it, they talk about something that was done in a con game, a special event yeah. or something like that. Where the game master sat down and came up with all this stuff, either you know pre-generated handouts or mocked him up himself or herself or whatever, it was for a very specific event. And <clears throat> excuse me. And then when you're there, you're like, oh, this is all about this thing, and it's a. The expectation is it's tonight or it's two sessions or whatever it is, and then it seems to fit because you've got a limited amount of time you're going to play, and um, then you can kind of throw those pieces out because they're they're just designed for that one event, you know. Um, if you have a very specific soundtrack or something that you play on top of handing out maps or <clears throat> um, verbal clues or flags or whatever it is that you give out, and it's always, well, I shouldn't say always, but it, it's for this very specific like, convention game, um, then it becomes, I think people at those games love the love the production values yeah. that you can, that you bring to a, to a con game that makes a con game worth really talking about. And it also, um, not that you expect something a little extra, but it seems to fit better, and you're like, oh, cool, I'll totally get into this. Obviously, it has something to do with this game because it's a short event, and it, it can't be a red herring. He never would have built this for anything else. And the expectation is set at the beginning that, hey, if I give you something, it, it probably has something to do with what you're, where you're heading to. Yeah, and I know I've, I've spoken about Michael Brown in the past, and Brett's had the pleasure of meeting Michael. And he's, I mean, I think his Twitter thing is like maker of things is what his Twitter handle is. Um, and when he does a con game not to beat a dead horse but he does do production and i know that if i'm gonna sign up for his game he's gonna have unique things to that game he's gonna have unique he's either gonna dress up himself um the nightmare on sesame street he had everybody playing a member of sesame street one of the muppets and he had a hand muppet and you use the hand muppet to talk and to do whatever you were gonna do so you had these you know, grown men with hand puppets on their hands talking to each other through their, yeah, through their Muppet, you know? And so I know, and he has, so that's a reputation that he has built over time in his games. So when other people, um, if they, if they hear this and they know who Michael is or they see it on him on a con, and they even go there and they see me playing that game. They're going to, the next con that they see his name running that game, they're going to line up when registration comes around and try to get in on the game. So I think there's absolutely, that. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got a mystique built around how he does this thing and the, the experience you get when you play in one of his games. Totally. Yeah. So I, I do. Yeah. And that, and so with con games, I could totally see, and that's one thing I would love to do is make a con, you know, be like Michael, probably not to the extreme and not as well executed, but something to the point where if you go to the con and you join my game, it's, you're not only going to have fun, but you're it's going to be memorable. And some of those uh, props make it more memorable. Not that not that you can't run a really just down home good game, pen, paper, and dice, and not make it memorable, but 
it does add a little bit of a level. So, I mean, if you were running Call of Cthulhu or something along those lines and you came across the Necronomicon and you had a copy of that and you put it on the table and you went, boom, here's what you discover in the library. And That's kind of cool, yeah. If somebody picks it up and starts reading it, you go, okay, now you need to give me a sanity check because well, the see, stuff in there totally scrambles your brain. This is This is interesting then because the way Michael runs it, is that like let's just take the the Muppet piece, right? You you got a Muppet, you're talking like, hey, I'm the fucking Muppet, blah blah blah. Yeah, Grover's Rogue Rover, yeah, Cookie and Monster. you're doing that stuff. Now that doesn't stop. How do I say this? It doesn't interfere with player versus character knowledge. When you do an investigation game and I give you a clue, or I give you a book and you pick it up, you flip it open, and I go, ha! You, Sean, open the Necronomicon, and therefore you're blasted for clack, 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 20 sanity points or 10, or you go crazy or whatever it is. And you're going to look at me and go, whoa, what the fuck, dude? I d- uh, this is Sean opening it. I'm appreciating your prop here, jackass. My character would never do that. And then, then you get uh, into that. You yeah. get into that sometimes. Yeah. So I, it's there's kind of the overall setting, feeling stuff, like mood music, if you will, lighting, um, uh, even if everybody comes dressed in character, a quasi LARP or something like that, or you've got <clears throat> excuse me, artifacts on the table to represent the bar you're in or whatever it is versus um, an actual thing that you're supposed to glean information from or you're supposed to use in some way, right? Because when you've got a really cool bit of gear on the table, you want to pick it up and mess around with it. Oh, my God, this looks really cool. Is this like a puzzle box? Oh, my God, this is such a cool prop that Sean made. And if Sean then jumps down my throat, or perceptively on my side jumps down my throat, and says, ah, you touched the puzzle box of Thrandor, and now you've gone mad. And, you know, well, you're like, well, wait a minute. My character wouldn't do that. This is just Brett happening here. So <clears throat> I think what's an expectation thing, again, is when you put it down and say, guys, look, here's the thing. If you touch it, it's your character touching it. I want to tell you that right now. I need to know that. Are you doing this, or is your character doing it? Because it's important. Yeah, I and would- yeah. You, you've got to have that because if you you spring that on people, well, this was the worst experience I ever had with a prop. It was a game master many many years ago. I don't play with this individual anymore. Um, <clears throat> and he he did that and he just kind of ah, it was kind of like an I got you. Uh, and you're like, well, you fucking kidding me? What do you mean you got me? You gave me this really cool looking thing. Somebody at the table flipped through it and we all kind of went, all right, fine. If you're going to be that kind of dick, then we don't want to play anymore. And the game just kind of dissolved and everybody went home. So. You set the expectation, and that's where when Lenny hands out a clue in his Call of Cthulhu game, she's like, this is what your character finds. And we respond like, okay, so as a character, if I want to read this, does it, you know, in character, I want to go look at it. Okay, great. Or if you see somebody jacking around with something, are you looking at that, or is that your character looking at that? You know, so we, we, we do have that interaction to help try to determine it. Because when it's investigative, it's not just a cool tchotchke. It's a real fucking thing that you better pay attention to in some way because there may be a clue on it, or it is a clue, that could lead you either to certain destruction or possible salvation or whatever the case is. Yeah, no, I I, I do get your point, and I can I can empathize with the the bamboozlement of of that approach. We feel trapped. You feel like you were suckered. Well, I would, and that, nobody wants to be a sucker. That's I just, would, yeah, I would put it. I would try to still put it out on the table and. Um, I would I would probably take it and put it on the table and say, you know, maybe in front of the player who discovered it in this particular instance and say, this is what your player finds. Let me know how you approach this thing. Yeah, your character finds X. Right. Are you going to pick it up and look at it? Because well, you know what's going to happen is one of the players sitting across the table is going to go, oh, man, that is so cool. Can I, can I just look at it? I mean, not my player. I'm just going to want to grab. I just want to see it. Yo, oh, absolutely. Right. When it's, especially when it's a really cool production piece, like, holy shit, how many hours did you spend building this puzzle box? Fire. You know, you, you start tearing it apart. And you can't – if it's an investigation game, it's harder, in my opinion, to – now, let's let's take that piece aside, but it, it kind of segues into this, is then it's the incomplete or inaccurate data that you pull from something based on your versus your character's knowledge. We talked about this a little bit already, is that – when I'm running a, a player, excuse me, when, when I have a character and as a player, my character's way smarter than me. They're, they're police officers. They've got forensic pathology. They're PhDs, whatever the case is. These people have much deeper 
knowledge than Brett does. Well, I don't know, Brett. I mean, you know, the criminal side of things also has good knowledge <laughs> okay. of law enforcement that's, that's and how they operate. Through. Yeah, yeah. I know how to get away. Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. Is if you pick it up, you're like, well, okay, you gave me a a iPad as as a plot device. And Sean's like, I fucking know tab. What's tick, 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 tick? Oh, really? And you're like, oh, dude, I yeah. had that locked. Nope, I know what your password always is. It's this thing. Ah, oh, motherfucker, I got you. You know, and then if it's your character versus you again, and that's where I think <clears throat> we said this before, a lot of this is expectation setting, but you need to be able to, before you start introducing props for the first time you do, you've got to figure out as a game master yourself, at least how you expect the players to pull data from it. If it's something you're supposed to pull data from, if they can pull data in character and as player and both are equal, then you are willfully suspending the fact that Brett's character with a five intelligence who's not, I mean, I do have higher than a five in real life. Just saying it's true. So he is, it's, it's, I got like a six, right? <laughs> but the point is if, if you're going to do that, you're willfully saying, oh, yeah, guys, I'm going to ignore this just for the sake of cool prop. Y'all figure it out. Um, as opposed to, I'm sorry, Brett, but you're, you know, Ragnar, the, you know, the troll slayer has a five intelligence. There's no freaking way he would know how to read this book. Too bad. Even though you, Brett, do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you I have to figure that out because if you don't, it leads to frustration and aggravation. It yeah, takes away, it could be a cool thing and just pisses people off. Yeah. I do think you have to, you have to at some point set set it up so if you're going to start using them how are you going to use them how are you going to present them how are you going to um how are you going to explain to the group how their interaction is going to matter or not matter when handling the prop itself or whatever um and i, I yeah i mean it, it can it can be just as easy as saying okay you're going to bring it out like you're going to unveil whatever it is and if it's maybe not investigative maybe it's like you know the vial of water that i mentioned or something they drink if you bring it out and say okay you find this you know here you go here's your player you set it on the table since they maybe they haven't touched it yet and then say okay now just to make this clear it's sitting there in front of you what are you going to do are you going to pick it up is your player going to pick it up or and ingest it or are you going to pick it up and examine it and then let, let them kind of determine. Then they say, yeah, I'm going to pick it up and I'm go, okay, pick it up. And then you can kind of go from there. So I guess my approach would try to be less on the meta side of it, just because I think if you start kind of, Hey, here, I created this boop and you put it on there, it'll come out later in the adventure or, Oh, and by the way, this is how you would handle it. Now with the, I can, I can empathize with the, like who player knowledge versus character knowledge thing. And I'll give you an example. So this kind of is a good segue into me talking about my buddy, Mark, who's here in Madison that I gamed with in a star Wars RPG. And then he ran his own homebrew and his homebrew was really cool. And I, I think I have a fonder appreciation for his homebrew uh, campaign now than I did when I was actually, when I was actually playing it. Um, but he, what he did was he created a huge handmade tome and he used hand like parchment. And I think it was like, I mean, I think it might've been actual parchment somehow he found it and it was huge. It was like, I mean, the thing must've been a foot wide and like eight inches, 10 inches tall. And it was bound, you know, had hard, like a hardwood covering and it was bound with strings um, and it, you turn the pages and they were ripped and fringed. And he ha on each page back and front, he would have something, either a diagram or stuff written out. And it was either written and in. And you bastard, you looked at it and went, yeah, that's no. nice. What the hell do I care? You threw it over your shoulder. Yeah, dude, <laughs> where'd you fuck, get, man? where'd you get this thing? Um, but he. Especially your grandma did. He would, and he hand wrote all the stuff in there, and it was just this. I don't. He must have just spent tons of hours on it. And what it was was like an atlas, an atlas of the world. Well, I don't know if it was even an atlas. It made it. I mean, I probably equated to more of an almanac of the world we were in. And some of it was in a language we couldn't read. 
what you could decipher. So it made sense. So I don't know if he just took a strange font and then just like hand wrote the font in as he typed it out. So it actually made sense if you were to decrypt it. And then some of it was um, regular English, I think, or in a old English type of portrayal of the language. And so when we got into, so going back to what you were saying in player knowledge versus character knowledge, um, he, I don't remember if, I don't think we ever really got to the point where it's, well, you would know this because I think he just threw it out there and said, if you guys look at this, then you'll know it. And if you discover it and it's in the book, great. Or if you can use it to your advantage, fine. But he never really spoon fed anything to us. No, but he's, that statement was expectation is this is yours as players, and if you read it as player, your character has full access to all your knowledge. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's cool, and that that's a quick, it's a quick way to go. And I guess that he understood, and I'm putting words in his mouth because I, I can't interview him right yeah. now. But it sounds like he understood saying, "Hey, I'm going to make this thing, <clears throat> in order for my players to really get the full oomph of it here. If you read it, if you take the time to read it and absorb it, and pull all this cool data in, I will reward your character and that all the knowledge you've gleaned from it, Sean, your guy has too, which is pretty cool, yeah. you know? Yeah, he did a really good job. I mean, he had maps of the world and it was like hand-drawn and ink and some of them were like in pencil and he just, it's, and I know he still has it and he put um, rivets and like brass, kind of brass oh, corners to protect the corners and I think he even put like a cloth like a really fine cloth around the board that was the hard cover and the back cover, the front cover and back cover. But I mean, I mean, it was huge. And when he put that thing down, we were like, Whoa, man, you spent entirely way too much time on this. I mean, we're appreciative, but Holy cow, just the investment. Um, but you, you used it though, right? We did use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a way that you get use out of it. So, well, and you know, the thing is that with something like that is, I mean, his home, I mean, it was a homebrew. We weren't, we didn't take uh, a pre-published world. He he actually had creatures in the world that we never we never knew. Like he called one was uh, a brawly, right? So if you look up a brawly in a monster manual, you're not going to find it. He, he he created it as a monster, and it was kind of like what would we equate to something like between a twig blight and a trent. You know, and then he had blood druids, which, you know, obviously blood druids can be kind of crossed over from one fantasy setting to another, but it was his own kind of sect. But, I mean, even a brawly, you know, they're dumb and slow and talk and, you know. But, but it was a, a purpose-built prop, though, that wasn't – it's kind of – it was clue-based, right? It's going to give you more detail on the world. You can interact with it. The The expectation is that, look, Sean, you and whomever else you're playing with, you all buzz through this thing. Whatever you pull out of it, if it helps you, great. Yeah. And uh, if you fail, you go, oh, my God, I didn't know what that was. I reserve the right as Game Master to snicker at you because it's on page five. You yeah. know, it, it's in there. There's data in there that could have saved your ass, but you all chose not to look it over. Well, and so, there's a lot of history in that book. So he almost made it like uh, – so the, the world was dramatically changing during the time we were adventuring in it, right? There was no magic, and then all of a sudden magic started appearing in small pockets, very little by little. So it was – you know, and we weren't allowed to play casters. And all of a sudden now the, these blood druids were bringing back the magic. So when you read in the tome, he put chapters in there from eons past that you could reference that would kind of make sense to why the world transformed itself and who were involved. And then now those powers are coming back and you're discovering those. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, it is really neat. And I, 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 I would go as far as to ping Mark and see if he was on the show just to explain it. But anyways, um, so that's one element that I had run into. And then another one that we ran into, and it's funny, the stuff that I'm about to talk about in the props, I was GMing and my players made them. See, I've had, I've had that too, where Lenny had a guy who, uh, Dante and Dante's, I can't remember his last name, but he had this, um, Sphere that was his focus for his for his spellcaster, and he just carried it with him. So he always had it. He was just jacked. He was always playing with this crystal sphere, spinning around his hand, flipping it around, getting all um, David Boy Labyrinth with it. You know, just kind of using this thing, and he would gesture with it, or whatever the case was. <clears throat> I've had other guys that show up with um, with something that's indicative of their character, and use that thing as a focal point 
for how they interact. You know, sometimes <clears throat> sometimes it's a goblet they drank out of, or sometimes it's a certain set of dice, a certain color, and no other colors are near their table, you know, or the section of the table, I should say, whatever it is. So, something as simple as that, it sets a tone. So I think if it's able to, if it helps, I'm, I'm cool with pretty much any tactile introduction as necessary. If it helps to bring people more into it, break down that kind of that fourth wall, if you will, where we're no longer observing a thing, we're in the thing. That's really cool. So then uh, there was one thing. So I ran a Star Wars D20 game for a couple years. Um, I actually ran the um, organized crime, organized crime, organized play living force campaign that Wizards of the Coast put out with D20 and spanned all the way up to episode um, one or three, probably one of the movies. But um, one of the guys, uh, Peter, who now works for Wizards, um, played a scoundrel. And he was a taxi driver, scoundrel guy that kind of gets wrapped up into what what the group was doing. Um, God, what is his name? Anyways, not to get into a, a, a RPG story. This, this one time at I my know. game table, God, this cool thing happened. Let me tell you about my character. This, uh, just a segue, man. This is one of the reasons why gaming is so fucking cool. Is a gamer war story. If they're really fun, they're just they're so, fun to tell. They're fun to experience. So not too bad. So man. Peter's character was a, a drunkard. He had a habit of hitting the bottle. And one he of didn't the, show up at every game drunk, did he? That'd be horrible. And I don't even think Peter. I don't think Peter made this prop again. I think it was Mark, uh, same Mark I was talking about with the big tome of the world. And he made, he took a liquor bottle, like a little pint-sized liquor bottle, one of the brown ones. And I think it might have been, I don't know, it might have been a, uh, could have been Jack Daniels. It was a, a dark brown bottle. And he peeled off the label and he put on another label called Old Wookie. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it had Old Wookie. Old Wookie, number seven. And he had left the number seven on there, and he had a picture of a Wookiee on there and put the type font, and it was all professionally printed really, really nice um, cool. with nice detail. And so then what would happen is he'd bring it to the table and give it to um, Peter's character, and Peter would use it every time, and he'd have a shot glass, and every once in a while he'd just pour whatever's in the bottle, typically water or colored water, and pour it in the shot glass, and he'd, he'd drink it. You know, he's like, yep, I'm here with my old Wookiee. And then another one um, – you know, if you've played Star Wars RPG, one of the items was spacer tape. And spacer tape's like duct tape. I mean, it's kind of the wonder tape of the world. And one of the guys, uh, I think it was, it might have been Mark again, I don't know. And he took a duck, a roll of duct tape and put on a custom label on it that said duct tape. And then it was like official tape of the rebellion or something goofy on it. And he put the rebellion type of fonts on there. Um, He's like, yeah, here we have, we've got spacer tape now, but so those, those are some of the ones that I, I am fondly remembering, um, that were really kind of cool. I think the, where I find that props are the coolest to me, and I, I kind of walk around it with the whole, as long as it adds to the game type of thing, but those are things that are innocuous. They really, they have, they have nothing to do with the story, but everything to do with the character. They have nothing to do with the story, but everything to do with the world. And that's really cool. A really cool map. Just having the Greyhawk map you know, portrayed on the wall as you play through Greyhawk and go, here's this, and there's where the free city is, and we're going to go through these mountains and, and so forth. Something as simple as that um, is really cool. Or just small tchotchke, like things like my, my, uh, my keys. You didn't have to have the key for me to have your character have the portal powers that they, that they had. It was innate within each character. The key was just a really cool focus point. And if a character for if the player forgot it, I gave him some shit for it, but it wasn't the end of the game, right? So that those are really easy ones, I think. When it gets harder is when the prop is a key piece of the game, of the story. You have to delve into it, you have to have it, or whatever the case is. And sometimes if the other piece with it is when you put all the work into the item, and I, I said this before, is that there's potential that you'll never use the item. If you have five props for this game, this investigative game or this um, uh, sci-fi story or whatever it is, and nobody opens the bulkhead, 
so they don't ever find this thing, you potentially wasted your time building this prop. And you gotta, <laughs> unless you have another creative way to thrust that prop back into the story, or that it's so key that they're gonna find it regardless or whatever you wanna do with it, if you just throw it out there because, like, look, I spent 20 hours building a damn thing. I'm putting a statue of Gaia on the table because it's freaking awesome. Okay. I mean, everyone's going to go, is this important in the story? No, you guys missed it, but it's really cool. I mean, hold that for the end type of thing. But you have to be prepared if you make some of these things that people may not use it. Yeah. I mean, your buddy your buddy made this huge book. Granted, if you know your players, he knows you guys are going to go, oh, that's sweet toss over the shoulder and just and pretend it's not there. You're going to use it in some fashion. And that's something you can say, hey, make sure you check the book out, because I think on like page 95, there's some Brawley data there. No shit. Flip, 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 right. flip. You know, you can draw people into that thing. But otherwise, there's always that chance that no one's going to grab onto it. Yeah, one of, the, <laughs> so one, of the, one of the things I wanted to do for one of the con games that I was doing for um, the, the Ghostbusters game was do a Ghostbusters handbook or standard operating procedure book. And so I would just put that, you know, and make multiple copies for the con game so that anybody could pick it up and look at it. And But it would, you know, okay, it's a ghost. What kind of ghost? And then it would actually reference that information from the handbook so that they may not know what they're doing because they just bought a Ghostbusters franchise and they're kind of lost. Maybe they didn't go through training. What's SOP? What's SOP? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, are you looking this up? You know, and it's kind of chaotic and, and making that kind of immersive um, prop. But one thing that we really don't, we didn't touch on is, and a lot of it has been more creative props is, but you touched on like the skeleton key. So I think the cool thing, and I'm going to have to keep it in the back of my head, um, Unfortunately, I'm running an online game, so a lot of this isn't really going to come into play. But um, playing face-to-face, -face, if I run another game, I'm going to start keeping this in mind as I kind of go through rummage sales or just you know crappy stores or resale stores, thrift stores, is um, just buying, not buying, but yeah, buying, you know, acquiring stuff that would be kind of cool to have in a game just unique trinkets that you wouldn't see every day that would be like the skeleton key is a perfect one because you could just you know keep it and then go oh, i, I want to incorporate this somehow but you don't have to make it because i think that's the big thing that people are going to get hung up on they're not going to want to spend 40 hours dude you gotta if you're a gm you're running the show you're coming up with the world you're coming up with plot points man throwing a couple of props that are going to take you 10 hours a week to deal with and it's a whole nother ball game right so even just oh i'm going to put this aside i'm going to buy this and put this aside oh this would be kind of cool and i'll put that aside um, i've actually started i've started doing that i've yeah. got little wooden boxes <clears throat> my wife was going through garage sales a couple years ago she goes hey i think this might go good for your possible prop collection <laughs> and yeah. i ended up with more keys and other crap and i'm like oh cool so I've got like a stash of stuff and periodically I'll, I'll rummage through it. And sometimes just from a raw inspiration perspective, it's nice to pick up this thing. <clears throat> when Lenny went to, uh, he had to go to India for work. He came back with a big key, which I think almost got him arrested <laughs> because of this big chunk of metal he was carrying through customs. But anyway, um, <clears throat> he brought back this cool key for me. I'm like, oh, all right, it's a really cool um, uh, skeleton key style, but it's from India. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. And it's one of those things when I pick it up and you look at it just from a setting a, up the next storyline it, it's a good inspiration piece yeah so if you um uh i think we're good you good yeah we are the only other well the only other thing i was going to ask is i've never done them for sci-fi games and your thing on the the wookie whiskey was pretty freaking cool yeah because it's one of those things that because i look at go fuck, I can't build a tricorder, you know, going to buy a toy or something like that. or Because right. I, I tend to think that the sci-fi thing has to be this wonky techie thing. When old Wookiee number seven, that's, that's a pretty cool little prop yeah. just for that. That's yeah. cool. I like buy that. Buy a wacky bottle of something, peel off the label and throw a different label on it that you can print somehow, like find. And, you know, in the sci-fi, I mean, it, maybe graphics is really limited. Maybe you just put a circle and a square on there and call it, I don't know, call it abstract and it's like the person's favorite liquor or whatever it is. I don't know. Or it gets them like delusional, like absinthe or something. I don't know. I think you could come up with something pretty easy doing stuff like that. Um, if you are using props in the game or some type of tactile gaming, email us um, at b uh, gamingnbs at gmail.com or call 929-BIG-DICE or just shout it out on 
um, Google Plus. I'd be interested to find out what other people are doing, how much time it takes you, how how it's received by your players, and um, you know the cool stuff. And if you're a player, obviously chime in too. Like, hey, I got this cool GM that came up with this really cool thing. Uh, we'd love to hear about it, and we'll put it on the show. Absolutely. I mean, I talked about some of the the downfalls or what I see as pitfalls with a distraction or incomplete character versus player. All that, I mean, any of those things, that shit you can work through. You can sort that out either through expectation setting or in-game or, <clears throat> excuse me, the first time you hit that that hurdle, you hop it, everybody gets it, and you, you set it. But I love it. I mean, if I really, if I have props and they're used well, they enhance the story, even something as cool as a really sexy character sheet in on a piece of parchment-looking paper, you know, burned edges, just, it's something really cool that when I'm looking at it and I'm touching it, rolling the dice that are only used for this game or everyone's drinking out of the same mugs because they're on this spaceship or what just simple shit like that it's really cool because now i'm not talking about the game i'm not reliving it i'm actually doing a piece of it i'm physically doing something in it which is and i just love that piece it's that crack that fourth wall somehow some way get more into it it's neat yeah it's cool let's uh Let's go into die roll um, where Brett and I have 2d4 points of um, th- that we bring to people's attentions that have to do with gaming and geekery. Uh, you've got three this week. I have two. I'll go first. All right. Go for so, it. So with Christmas break, I get uh, the boys are home and we went through and we're going to wrap up the last bit of our home D&D campaign. And they really wanted to do advanced D osric stuff they're like you know what i really want to have because my my thief died and we're in a place where there's only halflings and my youngest boy aj goes well dad you can't have a thief because there's only halflings here you should be able to make a halfling thief i said well we can you know red boxes you know your, your race is your class and so forth and i said that's not how this works i said but i do have another rule system we could do it's a little more complicated and it, and he looks at me and goes that doesn't sound hard at all let's do that okay <laughs> so we sat down and for a little bit, we just converted characters. They wanted to try this other thing. I like both rule sets fine. I mean, it doesn't change how I do anything. But <clears throat> so we got into that. And the first thing we fought in our new um, AD&D Osric characters were an, was an Atiag. It was hilarious. Just uh, <clears throat> describing this, you know, this fetid pool of liquid sewage. And there's, of course, I stick a magic item in the corner, right? It's like three feet down. <laughs> they're trying to figure out how they're going to get it. And uh, the rot grubs and all sorts of horrible shit. It was <clears throat> literally and figuratively, it was a blast. It was a ton of fun. So the other piece here um, I have is from for the Evercon old school challenge that I'm running. And one of the other reasons um, that this whole props con- uh, topic is, is hot for me is because I'm making some props for that con game. Uh, there's some of the challenges have little pouches full of sand and other ones have a mirror and bits of thread. I'm going to have some of that stuff there. And I just thought, you know, this, this tactile component of it for these kids, these high school and younger kids are going to be playing. They're just going to totally dig that. So you know I'm going to do it. You know what would kill me is if one of them was like, what? A th- what is this? Like a thimble? This dude, is fucking I, stupid. Dude, this is really? stupid, man. Where's the battle axe? <laughs> Where's the suit of armor, you bad, <laughs> nice. cheap bastard? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> um, and the other, the last one I have is I've read through the uh, 5e Player's Handbook or Monster Manual. Now I buzz through them. Monster Manual, of course. Monster Manual, excuse me, goes really fast. You kind of buzz through it, and you're like, okay, cool. I see how it works. The PHB, though, I went through a couple times, and um, I said this before when I talk about you know where I don't the system matters argument that I have. The tone and the approach when I read it, the feeling that it gives me, I really, really like. It feels like it's something, <clears throat> the the way I like to run, it feels like it's conducive to that. I want to give it a shot at some point. I want to get my crew together and uh, and give it a go because I think it'll be fun. De facto fantasy game. D&D's back. You heard it here first. Yeah. Actually, you didn't probably, <laughs> but... No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> It's get, I, I have I have lots of people, lots of different audiences out there that I tune into on social media, and I have yet to have somebody bash the crap out of it. They may be kind of like, eh, I don't really care for that or I don't care for this. But, I mean, some Osric faithfuls, some 4E faithfuls, uh, you know, old AD&D. There's a lot of Pathfinder people. Uh, there's it's, a lot it of- steps away, It steps away from the from the grid. I mean, using a grid is, is an option. 
you read the PHB, it says an optional way to do this, and it's what, you know, three, four inches long and in, in, in the column that says, hey, you could use a grid if you want. And that's about it. Yeah. You know, it's, again, I, I read through it. It seems really cool. I'd like to give it a shot. So that's kind of neat. All right, I'm done. Sweetness. So I only have two. One, Star Wars RPG Revise, Expanded, and Updated. This is something interesting, and it's got some really cool cover art. It's the D6 West End Games rules, and it's a, more of a compendium because they kind of take took some of the um, some of the supplements and implemented it into this 506 page rulebook. So aren't these the guys that had it originally, D6 or? Yeah, well, so yes, West End Games had the role, Star Wars role-playing game license at one point, and it's still been going on. There's plenty of people that play it. It's just not in print. Okay. And, and you okay. can still get – I've got my copy too, and I've never played the game, unfortunately. Um, there's copies you can get on eBay and things like that, but this is one – and I don't I – th- and I think they got permission to – publish this thing i don't know how they're doing it without getting sued i think they're only being able to do it because they're not selling it that's kind of where i was going with it i'm like how the hell are they pulling that off there is there are people that are you can get the pdf i'll put a show uh a link to the show notes to the the blog spot um posting on wave your geek flag dot dot com and they have links to the pdf that you can download um, there are people that are taking it to Lulu and getting it fully printed. But, I mean, this thing is it, – it's production value, folks. This is not like somebody did, took all the rules and put it in a Word doc. This is a legitimate rule book. And if you are a lover of the Star Wars RPG, especially the D6 system, that's what this is. But it has everything in it, and it has the additional material. Um, and if you're interested or even know that system from afar, like kind of like I do, own one book and never played it, um, I would totally go and download this thing and, and you'll be, you'll be good to go. I mean, there's good illustrations in it, that there's formatting and layout all in the, the document itself. It's really awesome. And it comes in a PDF. Um, I don't think you can take the PDF to Lulu and just get it printed. Cause I think the cover there's, the cover has to be in a particular format. So I think there's another link oh. to the cover so you can get the cover and move that over. Wow. Yeah. Check it out. If you're, Star Wars, uh, you may already know about this, so um, but nonetheless, number two. Hey, the other the other Star. Do you read Star Wars comics? I used to on occasion. Because Dark Dark Horse is losing their license to it, and they're running a huge ass sale on their electronic comics and stuff. They oh, are. Really? They will not be doing Star Wars comics anymore. Like right what right now ish. So why don't you have that in your die roll, you nugget? Because <clears throat> I don't like Star Wars, dude. There's a, okay. <laughs> See everybody. Brett is only thinking about himself. I got you to cover that stuff, man. Well, see, so that's good. That's good news. Good to know. Uh, are they moving? Are they moving it to another property? I don't know. Got to be Marvel, I, right? Because I mean, I, Disney I, owns Marvel and Disney owns Star Wars. It would only make sense. Well, there, yeah, that would totally make sense. And honestly, the only reason I didn't put it up there is because I just flat didn't think about. it. I read it in passing. Went, oh, I don't really collect that comic. And I didn't think about it. And when you mentioned this. The West End version. I'm like, holy shit, that reminds me. Boom, so here we are. Anyway, I'm done. Hey, Keep like, going. I think I've got like four episodes of a short series of the Knights of the Old Republic because I wanted to run a Knights of the Old Republic campaign. So I picked up about like four comics. And I am far from a comic guy, trust me. I do have some – I have a st- I have a bunch of them, stacks, but I am far from a collector or anything. I actually get some cool Dark Knight ones first printing, but um, I am by far not the comic geek that some people are. Um, number two, Star Trek three news, uh, Star Trek three, right? The re, the reinitiated Star Trek three version to drop July 8th, 2016. So mark your calendars, folks. It's only like a year and a half away. I've not seen the, uh, the other two. I should watch those. I'm not a huge Trek guy, but you know, they're. If nothing else, from from a geek cred perspective, they're cool. I mean, I know enough about the characters that I, you know, I see enough of the older stuff and next gen and everything else that I, I'll definitely appreciate um, their twist or turn on it. So I should do that. Nothing so, else, it's a good thing for me to do uh, vacation. I think they got rid of one director and now they're bringing on another director because Abrams isn't doing it now that he's on Star Wars. Um, but it's it's to coincide, I guess, July eighth is to coincide with the fifty year anniversary of original Trek. 50, oh, okay. 50 freaking years, man. 
Holy cow. That's almost as old as you are. That's crazy. <laughs> what a dick. I know. I'm that guy. What a dick. Brett, yeah. do you have anything else, sir? No, I think I've insulted you enough here at the tail end. Thank you. Well, this has been episode 16 where we talked about props. And if you are listening to this part of the show, you should rewind and start at the beginning of the show. Totally. <laughs> um, well, thanks for listening to us this year, guys. We'll be back in uh, 2015. That's right, 2015. I'm excited about that. Um, in the meantime, if you listen to this and you think it's pretty cool, and you like other people, they find us, leave us a review on iTunes. It bubbles us up to the top and gets us added exposure just so we can spread the word. Otherwise, I am one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I am Brad. Thank you all. Good game and good night. <laughs>